You got me on this? All right. Glad that we're here. Glad that I get to serve you for the next few minutes. Be an active listener. I think there's some beautiful truth here for us today. We're going to talk about how the gospel sets us free and unites us around food, around eating together. It's Thanksgiving. This is the perfect topic to get you ready for this week. Here's the big idea that I'm going to try and land with you. Here it is. A gospel culture does not stress about food. A gospel culture, which is what we are desperately trying to build here together, it doesn't stress about food. Or as the text that we just read that I'm going to press today says, it is rallying to God's grace in the gospel, not stressing about food that makes us secure, that strengthens our souls, that strengthens our community. Okay, remember how preaching works. You've only got like 30 minutes, so you can only say one big thing, maybe two big things, which means you cannot say everything about everything. You have been so good to live there with us and to not let your mind run about, oh, but what about, but what about, but what about, but instead to set yourself to say, let me hear what this text of Scripture has to say. So you did that for me on sexuality. Will you do that for me again on food? There's a lot of things that I will not be talking about today that might pop into your head. So we're not talking about gluttony today. If you struggle with food being the thing that satisfies you more than God's grace in the gospel, that's serious. We love you. We get it. We are for you. And there is gospel for you, but I'm not hitting on that today. I'm also not going to be talking about anorexia or other food struggles that you might have in the other direction. We know that those are real. We get it. And we are for you. And there is gospel in there for you. And we would love to talk with you more if you go, hey, for me, food actually lands in that ungospel place. And also, please hear me, I am not talking about nutrition today, okay? I'm not talking about nutrition. 100%, of course, nobody is arguing today that some foods are more nutritious or better for your body than other foods. There is nothing ungospel or unchristian about eating healthy. Uh, the girls gave me the TB12 manual, you know, the Tom Brady Bible hardcover, last December for Christmas. I implify, implemented a very modified version of the TB12 method, and I went to the, uh, to the doctors for my annual checkup in April after having started at New Year's, and the nurse took my blood pressure, put me on the scale, and looked at me and went, uh you lost 19 pounds. Are you okay? I said, ask the goat. <laughs> so I'm okay with nutrition. And absolutely, yes, drinking a TB12-approved protein shake for breakfast with strawberries, a banana, chia seeds, kale, coconut milk is nutritionally superior to three Cane's Donuts, and a Mountain Dew Kickstart. 
when Jesus declared that all foods were clean, he was not saying that some foods are not nutritionally superior to others. He was saying that no food is morally superior to any other food. That's what I am saying to you today because that's what the text is saying to you. Bad theology and bad practice around food robs people of gospel joy and it hurts and it divides Christian community and Jesus wants us to be free of both of those things. So will you allow me to say that to you today? All right, let's pray and we'll do it. Father, this is food for us. Your word is like bread. Your truth is like the richest of meals. So I pray that you would feed us in this quick time that we have together today, that we would be open to correction, that we would be soft-hearted, that we would wrestle with these thoughts and make them ours, that we would be free and united. Would you hear my prayer for that? Do it in the life of our church, I pray. Amen. All right, two scenarios. I want you to think about both of them. I want you to get your answer in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. Number one, if I invited you over for dinner, the house on the really steep hill on the south end of Melrose, and we sat at the table to eat, and you looked at what was being served, and this is what you saw. Kale salad with beets and carrots and parsnips. Lentil soup, tofu with shirataki, and not the cognac flour, the yam flour, unsweetened almond milk to drink, and avocado ice cream for dessert. Would you judge me? Would you pass judgment on me if that was the meal? Would you be like, what is this guy feeding me and when is the real food coming out? Is that what would happen in your heart? Okay, second scenario. What if I invited you over to my house for dinner? The house on the steep hill on the south side of Melrose. And we sat down to eat. And on the table was french fries, mozzarella sticks, and onion rings in a basket with barbecue sauce on the side to dip them in enchiladas drenched in five different kinds of cheese, Sam Adams Harvest Pumpkin Ale to drink, and chocolate peanut butter lasagna for dessert. (laughs) Have you not seen this before? You have not lived yet. Would you judge me? Would you say, what is this guy feeding me? He's got me consuming more calories than a sumo wrestler trying to make weight. This is wrong and bad. Okay, a gospel-centered understanding of food requires the answer in both cases to immediately be, of course not, I wouldn't judge you. I would sit down, I would give thanks, I would love whoever was at the table with me, And I would eat whatever was before me with a full and happy heart because of God's grace to me in the gospel. 
This is where Jesus, by his Spirit, wants to get you, and that's why these words are in your Bible. All right, we're at the back of Hebrews 13. We've only got two more sermons left in the book of Hebrews, and we will put it behind us. It's been rich. He's given us gospel, 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 and then in the epilogue, he's landing the plane with, this is what a culture built around the gospel feels like and looks like. So I hope you've loved this fall as we've been doing that together. And one of the things he said is, oh, a gospel culture is one where nobody stresses about food. Here's the first words that I read to you before. He says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Led away means to be carried away or to be moved far away from where you were supposed to be. You're supposed to be planted here, and next thing you know, you end up way over there. So we got a wood fireplace at our house. We got two cords of wood delivered. That's a lot of wood. Have you ever seen a pile of two cords of wood? It's like three of these across and about this high. Took forever, but we got it up to be ready to use. On top of the wood, I put this giant blue tarp to keep the water from getting onto it. I must not have secured that thing too tight because I came out last week after that windy night and the tarp was in the middle of the street all the way down the hill from us. It had gone from here and it had been blown way off course all the way down on the other side of the neighborhood almost. The Spirit is saying to you, That can happen to your soul over time if you're not careful. Counterfeit gospels, false teachings, strange doctrines, they can sweep people, churches, entire denominations. It's horrible. Miles away from the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. Um, I love that he uses the word strange Don't miss this word. It means foreign, novel, just weird, wacky. That's what this word means, like way out there. And this is totally true. I say this to you with no snark at all. The falser that a false gospel gets, the weirder that it gets. The more that a doctrinal system comes unmoored from the clear teaching of Scripture, the simplicity of the gospel, the the kookier that whole thing becomes. We know this as Americans from our experience with the cults that have popped up over the last 200 years in our country. If you've ever gotten into their teachings, you'll be like, wow, that is some weird stuff. Exactly, exactly. The further we get away from the simplicity of the gospel, the more complicated and weird and strange things get. And it's the same exact way with food right? Have you heard the phrase health nut? So you can say that in a mean way, but there's a reason that we use that phrase because we have all experienced people who have given themselves over to food as their savior in such a way that just gets a little bit nutty. Have you experienced that before? I don't remember where I, don't remember where I was, but I was at a conference or something and, and there was a, a health nut there. He was doing nutrition and Cairo chiropractorness. And somehow I got in a conversation with this guy, and uh, he's giving me this whole spiel, and then he turns around like this, and he goes, pinch my back, pinch my back, do it, do it. 
I was like, dude, I don't know you. I'm not touching you. I'm certainly not pinching your back right now. But he was like, you know, wide-eyed. He was like, pinch it. Go ahead, pinch it. So I was like, all right, fine. So I go to pinch his back, and uh, he goes, you can't do it. You can't do it. Can you? 2% body fat. 2% body fat. That's why. And then he went back into his whole spiel about the food and the chiropractor and the nutrition and all of that. Um, This guy was a little bit strange. And the Bible is saying, when other things trump Christ, the simplicity of Christ, we can go off the reservation and get really strange and weird. And he is saying, be careful of that. Don't fade from the centrality, the simplicity of, of the gospel in favor of complicated, faddish, schematic, strange, weird gospels. Okay? And then he says this. He says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods. Okay, does everybody feel this? It's real clear. It is grace that's supposed to anchor you, secure you, let you breathe. It's grace that strengthens our souls, not eating the right foods. All right, here's a big idea to summarize this verse that you may hear us say here. We are justified by faith, not by food. We are justified by faith, but not by food. Okay, think on this with me. At the heart of the gospel is this glorious doctrine, this bedrock truth, that you and I are made right with God. We are justified, declared righteous, acceptable, good, clean, not by anything that we bring to the table, anything that we do, but by what Christ has done for us. Jesus lived the life we should have died, died the death we should have. He lived the life we should have lived. Then he died the death that we should have died, both in our place for us. And in the gospel, it is Jesus, his person, his work, his righteousness, his standing before God, his goodness. It becomes ours. We are justified by faith. This is what justification by faith means. If you have trusted Christ, put your faith in him, you are justified, finished. You are acceptable, you're pure, you're clean, you're good. And then from that place of security, we get rocketed into a different life, a new life, of holiness and glad obedience to Jesus. Now here's the thing. If we reject justification by faith in Jesus, if we will not have Christ, we will not have his cross, we will not have his atonement, we will not have his righteousness, we will not have his lordship if we go, no Jesus, no grace, No gospel will not have him. We will go find other means of being justified. We will. It is not a question of if we will seek to have an anchor for being good people, being acceptable. It's a question of where will you go find 
how you get justified. Everybody knows this is true from the advent of social media, right? I know all of us are trying to learn how do I live in a world with, with this thing out there. If you read your Twitter feed for three minutes, what is everyone doing on there? What is everyone doing? Or Facebook or Instagram, whatever your, your preference is. They are showing you by what means they are justified. We call this virtue signaling. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before. Showing the world with my pictures or my 140 characters, look, because I did this, or because I am a part of this, or because I am for this, or because I am against this, I'm a good person. I'm justified. I'm righteous. We just live this way. If we won't have Jesus, we will have another means of showing the world that we're good. Now, the list of potential justifications is like 100 miles long. Our hearts are idle factories. We just come up with all these other gods to justify us. One of them is food. Food has always been a means of saying, I'm good and I'm definitely better than them. I am justified by eating the good foods and avoiding the bad foods. I am in with God by means of what goes in my mouth. I am clean and I can prove it to you. Look at my fridge. Look at my cupboards. Look at this Evernote that has the last 40 meals that I have eaten. I'm good. That is a false gospel. And it is the one that our text is calling us away from. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Okay, when he says not by food up there, he could be referring to this insistence among this early community to keep the dietary laws of the older covenant. So there was a time when God said, here's a list of clean foods and unclean foods. That was not about righteousness or being justified. It was about a clear delineation between the people of God and the people in the promised land to separate the two and to show in many external rites this is what belonging to God and being called out from the world looks like and our menu is going to reflect that. But all of those things were headed for the cross of Christ when he would shed his blood and his blood would be the cleansing power for all nations, all people groups. And one of the implications is that all foods are now clean if you have Jesus. And so in this church, in this city, they might have been saying, hey, I'm keeping those older covenant laws and that's how I know I'm good and I'm better than the next person. The other thing that this might have been is there was this scandal, controversy around, hey, can we eat foods that had been used in a pagan sacrifice worship service? Or if that food was used to worship idols or other gods, can I still buy and eat that food at the marketplace? It was a big conversation. And here he is saying, don't worry about the origin of the food. Don't worry if someone else used it in some worship to a God who is no God. 
you are free to eat whatever you purchase in the market because Christ's blood makes you clean and Thanksgiving sanctifies all foods. And so he was freeing them up to just go shopping and not freak out about where the food came from and to just trust God and enjoy the food. Either way, he is saying these things that crop up around if I just eat the right food, he's saying that's not where the strength comes to our hearts. Now, if you think that is just old, silly, early first century stuff, we know that this kind of stuff follows us right into our day. We are so easily swayed to think, got to be careful because certain foods have certain powers, certain cleanness, certain morality to them. The church has always struggled with us, uh, with this in America. Um, So who's heard of Kellogg's cornflakes? You heard of that? You know where Kellogg's cornflakes came from? Mr. Kellogg was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he was convinced that certain foods are better and cleaner than others. And if you eat meat in the morning, it's going to increase your sex drive. And so in order to help us be more holy, he invented cornflakes for breakfast as a means of using food to get you to a holier place. I'm not lying. Google that. Look it up. Somebody's nodding me like I read about that craziness. Did we say strange doctrines before? Who's eaten graham crackers before? All right. Mr. Graham was a Christian. He worked at Oberlin College Christian School. And uh, same thing. He was working on helping the students push down their vile affections. That's exactly what he called it. So he created a new kind of flower, the graham which became the basis for the graham crackers, which is the snack that they would serve to these students because the food's got to be clean, right? We're convinced that food has some moral component to it. By the way, if you're going on your honeymoon soon, do not eat graham crackers and cornflakes. Enjoy yourself. What is the error in there? I am good or better by what I eat. And, of course, anybody who lives in Boston in 2018 knows that even those outside of the ecosystem of Christianity completely are devoted to foods in this way. I have had these conversations before. I have had the look to me. I am definitely better than you because of what I eat. Because I shop at Whole Foods, I'm good and I'm better. There's no MSG in the Chinese food that I eat. I'm better. My chickens were ranging free before we lopped their heads off. I paid $4 for an apple because it was grown in Massachusetts. I am better than you. My diet shows it. The Spirit says, please don't live there. Please don't live there because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Here's how he says it. Which have not benefited those devoted to them. Which have not benefited those who are devoted to food as a means of being justified. Devoting ourselves to justification by food hurts us and it hurts our community. Let's talk just about you individually 
I give you this in love for you. Justification by food brings fear and guilt and shame if you go down that road. Embarrassing story, but let me put myself out there for you to show you how tripped up I get from this as well. Um, We kick off a ton of things we do at Seven Mile Road with food. That's why this sermon is so dear to my heart. And that includes the track that we do with our women who we are training to be equipped and mobilized to become disciple-making forces in the life of our church. Before our first uh, overnight together, we go share a big giant meal. So one of these years, the ladies were staying at the Element Hotel in Burlington. So we were like, let's do the Cheesecake Factory. Perfect. We'll meet you over there. They gave us a table that was a circle, and there was mirrors around the table. So like all these women were not only staring at me, but then they were staring at me by staring in the mirror and staring at me. So there was a lot of pressure in this moment. We got the menus. The Cheesecake Factory menu is longer than the Quran. Have you ever read this? It just goes on forever and ever and ever. And in that moment, I went through all of these emotions. You ready for them? The first was fear. I was terrified about what I was going to order in front of my sisters to make sure that they knew that I was a good person. And I was enlightened, and I was Bostonian, and I was like, oh, man, this is complicated. I was scared about what I was going to order. So then we were like chit-chatting about, what are you going to get? What are you going to get? You know how you do that? And I said, ah, like very noncommittal. I'm thinking about maybe, perhaps, potentially getting the Louisiana chicken pasta. And then one of my sisters, in love, she wasn't being, you know, judgmental. She just said, oh, I just read about that. That's one of the five worst meals that you can purchase at a chain restaurant in the United States of America. (laughs) Shame descended upon me that I would even suggest that meal. Oh, I picked the wrong one. Now I am so embarrassed and I have rosacea already and then I get even redder and then there's mirrors staring back at me and I'm looking at my shame in like seven mirrors in the faces of six women. So then I ordered salmon, right? Because I'm like, salmon, that's good, okay. And then I felt so guilty that I had backed down because of the the potential judgment of my sisters that I got the cheesecake with the highest calorie count on the menu out of guilt. I was like, I should have just ordered the chicken pasta. Give me the Reese's peanut butter lasagna cheesecake. That's what I'm going to get it for dessert. All right, does everybody feel that? What was the mark of my meal that evening? How did I engage with food? What was it? Fear. Shame, guilt, do those sound like gospel realities to you? If we are devoted to foods as our means of being clean and pure and good, it's fear. You know that, right? Oh no, what's on the label? What got in my body? What's happening? I'm scared. Guilt, where did this food come from? How much did I eat? Am I being strong enough? Shame. I can't believe I made that choice. I can't believe I selected that food. Those are not gospel realities. The gospel breeds the opposite. Here's my favorite verse on food in the Bible. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't feast together all the time. We do. I've shared meals with almost everybody in this room, and I love that. 
course, we're eating and drinking all the time. We will be eating and drinking together today. He means the kingdom of God is not about the food, the right food, the wrong food. It's not about that. Here's what it is about. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what I want for us around food, that we would be so content in Christ, so anchored to the gospel, so filled with the Spirit. You see it up there? In the Spirit, that we would not stress about food. We wouldn't do it. Jesus said, all foods are clean. Let's be good with it. Let's be good with it. Let's love each other in that way. We never preach a sermon in our church that the pastors have not run this by each other just so that we're theologically accurate, clear, helpful doing Boston vernacular. So on Pastor Matt's ride home from his day job on Friday, we caught up on the sermon. And at the end, I said, what are you guys doing tonight? He goes, ah, I just got home. I think we're going to Santapio's for dinner. And I was able to say, with all the righteousness and all the peace and all the joy of the Holy Spirit, Go enjoy whatever you guys want to eat with your family tonight. You're free. You feel that? Now, if, if he wanted to get a salad, I hope that Natalie did not shame him over that. It's good. Eat a salad. If he wanted to get the sausage and the lamb and the pepperoni pizza and the shrimp, shrimp scampi pizza, I hope that Silas wasn't like, Dad, what are you doing? I can't believe this. I hope that they were free, free. No fear, no guilt, no shame to just eat together. I want that for you individually. And then last thing, this is also a massive, massive danger to us as a community. Justification by food divides congregations. It absolutely does. There are things that we will divide over at Seven Mile Road. We will have that fight. We will discipline sin. We'll do it. Food is not on that list. Food crusades are not allowed in the life of our church. If anyone ever spends time with us and ends up going, I don't know, I shop at Whole Foods and it felt like I wasn't welcome at Seven Mile Road, there's a problem. If anybody ever spends time with us and goes, I don't know, I'm a vegetarian, or I'm a vegan, and I'm just, I'm just not sure that I would fit at Seven Mile Road. There is a problem. If somebody goes, I like whiskey. I'm actually in a whiskey club where we like taste whiskey, and I'm not sure that I'm welcome at Seven Mile Road. There's a problem. If somebody goes, I've been to the Waffle House, like 11 times. (laughs) I was there once for six hours. And I'm not so sure that I'm welcome (laughs) at Seven Mile Road. There's a problem. We've been blown off course. Why? Because we have replaced grace with food. We're not going to do it. We have replaced gospel with with food. And we're not going to do it. We have elevated food over people. And we will not do it. This has always been a huge temptation in the church. If you read the book of, um, in the book of Acts and in the letter of Galatians, 
um, you see that one of the things that the Jewish Christians would do was separate themselves when it came time for dinner from the Gentile Christians. They didn't want to be with them because they were still thinking in old terms of clean and unclean. And one of those things is like, well, what if they put bacon on that burger? I can't be near that food in order to be clean. And there was this separation. And Jesus is Apostle Paul, who I adore, I adore. He straightened his back and he stepped right into the Apostle Peter's face and he said, that's wrong, that's wrong. You're missing grace and you're elevating food over people. What's more important, that there's no bacon at the table or that they would not be welcome at the table? And he rebuked him to his face in front of everyone and he was totally right to do it. Instead, here's how I want us to think about food at Seven Mile Road. I'll give you this. Gospel first, people second, food way last. Gospel first, people second, food way last. Here's my favorite story ever about food in the life of our church, my favorite story. So there's a couple, Clint and Andy Patronella. They're actually leading the mission of Seven Mile Road in Waltham. And Andy is super nutritious, and Andy is a no-gluten-at-all person, right? There's a dietary reason and a preference reason, so she is a no-gluten person. She went to my mom's house for dinner, and my mom did not know about Andy's no-gluten, and so she cooked up the most gluten meal in the history of gluten. I mean, you didn't even need a microscope. You could see the gluten on the food including a bowl this big of spaghetti and meatballs, right? She did it with all her heart to welcome her and just said, let's feast together. Andy even has gluten-like reactions, you know, a physical thing potentially around that. Do you know what this gospel-centered woman did? She prayed. She believed the gospel. She loved the people that she was sitting with so much that she said, I'm going to eat whatever is served to me tonight, and I'm going to trust God. Is that unbelievable? In other words, in her estimation, God was so real and the gospel was so true that if she had a terrible reaction to the gluten, okay, but he is also strong enough to be with her in that moment. And my mom, her host, was so much more important to her than food that she just ate what was before her and she trusted God in it. Is that beautiful? That is so beautiful. No fear, bold. No guilt, no shame. The people at the table are more important than the food at the table. Jesus has given us food as a recurring chance to give him thanks and to enjoy one another. Let's make good food. Let's love good food. But let's never, never have food trump the people who we are with. All right, this Thursday you have a perfect, perfect chance to live this sermon out. You're going to be doing Thanksgiving I don't know where you'll be or who you will be with, but here's how I want you to think about it. Number one is gospel, always. Grace, it is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. 
Start there on Thanksgiving, a heart that is filled up with thanks for all that God has done for you. Number two is the people. Love the people that Jesus gives you at your Thanksgiving meal. And then way down the list is the food. And just be free to enjoy whatever is put before you. If somebody gives you tofu on Thanksgiving, eat it. Go for it. Enjoy it. Try it at least. If somebody gives you a mashed potato with an entire stick of butter melting on one potato, eat it. Enjoy it. You're righteous in Christ. You've got peace with God. You've got the joy of the Spirit. We're free. All right, wherever you're at with all this, allow this gospel truth to like change you. Whatever it is in that 30 minutes that you needed to hear, let it move you. Start to see food with gospel-centered eyes. Let's be free around it. All right, let's pray. Jesus, when you were locking down with your disciples the gospel in a way that we could remember it until you come again, you gave us a meal and you said, eat and drink bread and wine. Thanks for that example, Lord. It's so meaningful to us. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for thinking for a minute that we can be justified by food and not faith. That does such a dishonor of your son. I'm sorry. I pray that everybody in here would know that they are banking on Christ and not their diet to be right with God. And that in that place, they would have such righteousness and peace and joy. I pray that we would love each other in the hundreds and thousands of meals that we will share together going forward. I pray that we would be so united around the cross of Christ that food would not divide us. Would you forgive us as we have sinned in this way? Would you help us to enjoy the earth and all that is in it and all that you have given us, this bistro of food? Would you strengthen our hearts through your grace? We want it so bad. I pray that you would hear my prayer for those things and answer. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for